first off, thank you all for letting me uh, share this time with us. Like I know, as, as you know, Pastor was just sharing that we've, we're going through circumstances now uh, in, our, in, our, in 2020, right? It's a new decade, I think. Once Kobe Bryant died in January, I was like, man, is this how the year's going to be? And it just seems like all these things are happening. I said, you know what? I was really praying and asking the Lord exactly what it is with everything going on, where, what direction he wanted me to share uh, with you guys today. And, and this is much for me as it's for everyone else. Um, and I really felt like he wanted me to just remind the Christians of the voice that we have in Christ, the voice that we have as being those in a couple that are called to, to, to be the light of the world, right? And so uh, today I'm going to be sharing a couple of verses and some, just some exhortation with you guys today. Uh, first off, I just want to start with prayer. So if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to pray really quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be back at a, back what I call home. Um, this was a home for me for many years of my life, and, and although the buildings changed, my, my heart hasn't changed for this place, and hopefully they haven't, it hasn't for me. And God, I just thank you that you're able to bring me back with my beautiful family, with the beautiful people here, uh, whether it's physically or online. And uh, God, I just ask and pray that your spirit would, would be with us and would be with each person um, receiving this message, whether it's here in person or whether it's uh, through Facebook Live or whatever other means necessary, God. And I just ask that you would anoint me to be your mouthpiece here today, God. And I just uh, ask for your glory and your peace to be rested in this, in this room. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, the Bible says in Ephesians, if you have a Bible, Ephesians 6.12, a lot of you may know this uh, scripture passage by memory. And it's commonly thrown out there when we talk about the armor of the Holy Spirit, which it should be because it fits in the context. But the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's actually against the rulers authorities and world powers of this darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's out of the Holman standard. Um, what does that actually mean? Well, what that means when you read that is everything we see going on in the world to specialize, everything we see, whether it's, whether it's uh, things that happen on a political spectrum from Democrats to Republicans to independents or the liberals to conservatives, if you want to divide it that way, whether you see from the black to the white, to all the other nationalities, whether you see from Islams or Muslims to Christians or atheists or any other thing, um, even when you start, you know, chopping it up as to, to, you know, belief systems and things of that nature, uh, sexuality, homosexuality versus heterosexual, all these things, guys, that is not, that is not the end of who we are. That is not what the Bible tells us this world is. The Bible says it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle for your and my soul. See, what we see, we often get so caught up in that. We get caught up in, well, we got to push this agenda. We got to push this, this, this process. We got to make this happen. What we fail to realize oftentimes is that the Bible says that this battle is not flesh and blood. It's not what we see. We're just passing through, right? You know, the Bible says that God formed us before we were in the womb. He knew us. He had a plan for us, right? So he knew the things, the Bible says in Galatians, that he knew the thing, good things we were going to do for him. Right? So God already knew these things, but then we get stuck in this world, and then all of a sudden, these things start happening. COVID happens. Riots start happening. And protests start happening. Unfortunately, things happen, good, the bad, the indifferent, and we get, we get sidetracked. And when I say we, I'm not talking about just humanity. I'm talking about specifically the Christian people, the light, the salt. We get stuck in those modes, and we're like, oh, what do we do? Where do we fit in this process? And we got to remind ourselves of Ephesians 6, 12, that it's not against flesh and blood. It's a battle against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. This is a bigger thing. This is a battle for 
the, the soul of humanity and the enemy since, since the time he was cast out of heaven till the time he's going to get cast into the lake of fire. He is out to get each and every person. He's trying to get every person to go to hell. And if it's not that person is, is a Christian, he's going to try to get that Christian to be as minimized as possible. Because he figures, well, if I can't take their salvation, at least I'm going to make them so diminished that they have no impact in this world. And that's exactly why I wanted to share with you all today. So when I'm looking at my notes, I want to talk specifically to this, okay? The title of my message today is God's Voice. How are we a voice? How can you and I as Christians today, brothers and sisters of all ages, of all backgrounds, how can we be a voice here today? I'm not here to take a side on either end of arguments that right now are going on across this land and even beyond this place, right? But what I do want to say is, how do we fit into that process? And so to do that, I wanted to cite a few scriptures and give you guys some, some perspectives on some things. Uh, all lives right now are being Im- impacted by COVID. A lot of lives, especially here in America, are being impacted by a lot of the injustices and things that are happening to humanity, right? Whether you want to say that humanity is black, because we should all, the Bible says we should hurt with those that hurt. We should rejoice with those rejoice. If your brother or sister is getting hurt, whether it's justified or unjustified or anything else, it should still hurt you. It should still bother you. You should still take offense to that because it's wrong. We can get into the details later, but it still should hurt you, right? If that was your family member or your friend, that would hurt you, right? Regardless of the color of their skin, it should hurt. It should wound us. It should make us feel down. We should try to find justice for that, right? But at the end of the day, the life that matters most is Jesus Christ, right? So when you think about lives mattering, it's his life that matters, right? All, all our lives were given to us from God, right? The Bible says that he created us all, right? He made us all. Now, at the time the Bible was written, and especially in the New Testament, right? There was slavery, there was oppression, there was a patriarchal society. It was very much unequal, right? In 2,000 plus years, America and some other countries have tried to do their best to try to line that up, but we're, nobody's getting it right. We're not perfect, right? But the life that should matter most to each and every one of us as believers is the life of Jesus Christ. And so whether we want to get caught up in in, in taking sides on any of these things, again, remember, it's not a battle against flesh and blood. Spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. So the life that matters most is the life that Jesus Christ put on the cross, left there for six hours and was brought down, put in a tomb, and brought back three days later. That's the life that as Christians we need to be putting our focus on for the world to see. And not getting so divided in these other things. Because that's, that's, that's the offset. That's the, that's the distraction that, that the enemy and the world and even politics and the media is trying to take us into. And we got to remember, we got to stay centered. Okay? And so here's what it is. I have put together uh, this, this uh, acronym, and, and they have it on the back. And, and so I've chopped it up into five parts, right? And, and I'm going to go through them kind of quickly, but I want to give a little t- touch points on each one of them. Uh, for V, I took, for God's voice, right? The V. I believe that represents us having a voice is voting biblically, okay? When you go out this year to vote, whether it's locally, whether it's federally, how are you voting, right? I'm not one to say you need to vote for this person or this party or this whatever. That's not my place. My place is this. When you look at the Bible, and we, we realize that the Bible is the God-inspired word. Timothy tells us that. It was inspired by God. We should then pray and ask the Lord to guide us. And I realize there's no perfect candidate. I, I do realize that. I do realize that there's a lot of people that have to vote with the lesser of two evils. I understand that. I really, really do. But we also want to make sure we line our hearts and our minds to what the Word of God tells us and not to what a party tells us or not to what a station tells us on TV, right? We want to line up to what the Word of God tells us. And I do believe as Christians, it is our right and our privilege as Americans and Christians to be able to vote. You know, whether you've served in the military or not, that right has been fought for and bled for. I will say it is also your God-given right 
and it, it, this is a very controversial statement, but is it all God-given right if you choose not to vote? You have that same right here in America, in this church, and here as a person, you can say, you know what, I'm choosing not to vote. But either way, I would say vote or not vote based on what you see the Word of God shows you and what you feel your convictions are going to take you to, okay? Versus saying, hey, what are my friends doing? Or, hey, what does social media say I should do? Because we already know there's a bias everywhere you go. People have them. The media has them. Internet has them, right? Second thing is, for the O is organized peacefully. I think right now what we're learning is that there's nothing wrong with protests. America was built on that, right? The Tea Party and all these things, they were protesting that. But there was also a point to them. When you look at what Martin Luther King did, right, he protested and he got marches together, and they were very organized. They were done in certain cities at certain times with certain amounts. of. Then there was a message. There was always a message brought forth. It was a very clear message, and this is what the purpose of this protest was. I think as Christians, I think as believers, we need to be organizing as well with, with the mindset of how would Christ want us to do this? How did Jesus himself, uh, when he went out and shared, and when he went out and spoke, and when we went and taught, how did he do that? You know, yes, there was times where he was very righteously angry, and he flipped tables. But he didn't flip people. <laughs> that, would have been, that would probably hurt, right? Jesus flipped me all the way over. He didn't flip anybody over. He flipped the table, right? Last time I checked, tables don't hurt. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not a person. But I think we have to understand the mindset there is there's nothing wrong with organizing. There's nothing wrong with getting together and gathering. But if it becomes a distraction to the cause, right? If you're organized, if the organization and what you're organizing for begins to get distracted in things they're doing and, and, and offset you from the, the why behind it, then you're getting caught up in the how and not the why. Well, then there's a problem there. So we have to understand as Christians, as believers, it's fine to march. It's fine to protest. It's fine to stick up for social injustice. We need to. We're called to, Right? But at the same time, we need to do it in a way that represents the heart of Christ, right? One of the fruits of the Spirit, peace, right? Third point is I. Investigate the facts. Right now, we live in such a factually illiterate world. I feel like there's so many people that don't do any investigation. And I hate to say this because I have friends that, that took this in, in college, but journalists today are just not what they were back in the day. You older generation people probably understand that. They're not researching. They're just spitting stuff out and then retracting later, if they even retract. Right? You rarely see these apologies. You rarely see these stories that come up that are totally false, and they say, you know what, we messed, we messed that up. And so, unfortunately, we live in a generation with a lot of these 20 to 35-year-old mindsets where they believe what they first heard. They don't, believe, they, don't, they don't listen to the apology, the retraction, or the, oh, they messed up later. So they're still stuck in his head that all these things that were written or stated that were incorrect are still correct because it was never made clear to them, like, oh, actually, that didn't happen. <laughs> It was like, well, okay. And, and that was never, again, I'm 44 years old, so I'm younger than some of y'all in this room, but I'm sure some of y'all older than me can remember a time when, you know, we could trust the media, what they said. We could trust that this, newspapers and magazines and articles and stuff of that nature was, was trying to at least strive to get the truth, right? And nowadays, we, we just, on any channel, you, I mean, anything, right? And it's, that's a sad world. So I would encourage anyone in this room, be having part of a voice, it's, is investigating for yourself what really truth is. And that can be challenging, right? Because even wherever you're going to get sources can also be tainted. So, you know, like, I know I work with youth for Youth for Christ and a lot of the, the college leaders that I mentor, they're like, oh, I just go look at Google or Wikipedia. I'm like, man, what are you talking about, man? Like, that stuff, you know that stuff is, you know you can edit Wikipedia. Really? I'm like, yeah, you can go in there and mess with it. Oh, okay. And so I have to remind people that, that you got to be very careful what you call your truth, your hardline truth, Right? The C is communicate through love and truth, through love and truth. I'm going to take a little more time on this one right here. Communicating through love and truth. So when we look at the Bible and we look at the, the plethora of people that God called 
in the Bible to, to be his voice, right? From Old Testament to New, and I just put some of them on here. Noah, Moses and Aaron, Elijah and Elisha, Jonah, the major and minor prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, James and John, Stephen, Paul. These are just some of the ones that came to my mind, right? There's a lot of them, right? But the people that he used, if you notice how they did things, you're going to notice two shining details. They used love and they used truth, right? Today, unfortunately, especially in our Christian churches, oftentimes, oftentimes we side on one or the other while compromising the other. And what I mean by that is you'll oftentimes see, for instance, these churches that preach, this is evil, this is wrong, turn and burn, you're going to go to hell, dot, 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 dot. And they don't show the love. There's no love in that. It's condemnation, it's fire and brimstone. So there can be good in that because it's, it's centered in the truth of the, of the gospel. It's centered in the Bible, right? But there's no love. There's no hey, can we meet after church and let me pray for you, let me talk to you about these struggles you're going through. It's, it's very black and white. You're going to, you know, this and this and this. And so if somebody's coming into that, those four walls and they want to, they're the, they're the sick that Jesus was referring to when he said, I came not for the healthy but for the sick. They feel that, and they, they don't, they don't, but they don't feel the love. They, don't, they see people castigating them and, and shunning them because they're not that. Well, then they're probably not going to want to come around. And it's going to be very hard to reach people like that because they're just hitting them with the truth stick and there's no love in that, Okay. Now, on the other side of that, on the other side of that, you have a lot of these, unfortunately, same, same conceptual uh, ideas, these churches that are, that are showing love to any and everybody. You can do anything you want. You can come in the church and, and, and sleep around. You can get drunk. You can party. You can be whoever you want. And we're not going to change that. It's okay. We'll accept you. Come on in. And there's no, there's, no, there's no area that says this is what we want to move you towards. So they're compromising the truth, and they're even saying those things are okay as long as you come to church, or as long as you put some money in, or as long as you dress nice, or as long as you're trying there's no deal, and they'll let, them, they'll let them be any part of the church they want to be, as long as they keep coming to church. And so they're overcompensating in love, but they're not giving them the truth. What we got to do is we got to get these two to marry. We got to get these two to dance together, because without love and truth, we, the church, are now blurring the line of what the outside world is seeing. Look at what 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says. And I, I know a lot of you guys have heard this. You go to enough weddings, you're going to hear 1 Corinthians 13. You might memorize it by then. But there's, I like verse 6 specifically because it talks about the, the, the kind of gives you definition of what love is and what it isn't, right? And what it says in verse 6 is actually this. It says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Man, let's think about that. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, right? Which last time I checked that word is means wickedness or doing evil things. But it rejoices in the truth, okay? So if you really love somebody and they're living like the biggest heathen in the world, me for 20, almost six years of my life. That's what I was doing. I was living in the world. And if you love me, you're going to love me enough to confront me in love, deliver a message in love through Christ, but yet give me the truth of where my life will lead eventually if I continue to stay stuck in that area. And you can do that, right? If you really love me, because the Bible says it finds no joy in unrighteousness. I should find no joy in knowing that my friend, my neighbor, my brother, my sister, my kid is going to one day go to hell living that lifestyle. That should bring me no joy. Why would it? But rejoicing in the truth that at least I share in my love, in my relationship with them, hey, these are facts. This is what will happen. I don't shoot the messenger. I'm just giving you what the Bible says and letting them make a decision. Now, that might not always be popular. It might not always be easy. They may stop talking to you. They may block you on whatever social site you're on. They may call you all sorts of names. Before I go to my last point, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a, a story of myself. Um, so I've been with Youth for Christ now for 2011. Those that don't know, Youth for Christ is a ministry. We work with kids in the public system, high school, middle schools. I'm in San Antonio. 
And as a side director, I've had to talk to quite a few kids in my life um, when I was at Holmes High School for many years. And, uh, and I remember there was, a, there, was a one, there was one specific girl who uh, she had basically confided to me that, you know, she was living a life, you know, that wasn't right and whatnot. And I, I would talk to her and I would pray with her and she would share her struggles with me. And Youth for Christ was very built on relationships. We're built on loving relationships with lost kids. That's, that's what we build it on. And so for us, we may not get into a conversation about Jesus Christ for months because we're just opening the door of trust, you know. And so this girl specifically, she had trusted me with her life, and I had given her a Bible and slowly was working that direction. And then one day she just talked to me about her choices and her sexuality and things of that nature, and, and she put me in a hard spot because I, on my own merit, wasn't ready to go in that conversation. It was something that I definitely was going to wait for the Lord to open, but she was living a lifestyle that was contrary to what I knew the Bible talked about. And so for her to bring it up to me in a very black and white, like, what do you think it's wrong? And, you know, I'm not... In my flesh, to be very honest, in my flesh, as a human being, I wanted to water down the answer. I wanted to stay away from the answer. I wanted to kind of skew it away. But as a representative of Jesus Christ on this earth, specifically in that ministry at that time, I knew I got to give her truth. She's asking me a very black and white question. I need to give her the answer. So I told her, I said, well, this is what the, God, this is what the Bible says. I never said this is what Lewis says. This is what the Bible says. And I lovingly showed her some of those things. Immediately, she began to stray. She began to shy away. She Wrapped up our lunchtime, little by little. And then next thing I know, she's bad-mouthing me, talking bad to me, stopped coming to our social events. And in my flesh, it really hurt me. Because I was like, man, I really, I really tried my hardest to be a representation of love to this woman, to this young lady, senior in high school, who had been coming for a while, doing it in a way I really felt the Lord was showing me. But then I had to realize that not even Jesus was approved by everybody he ministered to. The Bible says there was a rich man that came to him one day with the question of, Master, what, my, what must I do to go to heaven? Good master. And he says, well, you know, I'm not, number one, I'm not good. Number two is look at your life and, and follow these things. And the young rich man said, well, I've done those things. And then Jesus said, well, then go and sell all you have and come follow me. And the, the Bible says the young man walked away downcast because he was very rich. And Jesus didn't run after him. I'm sure it hurt Jesus that this young man who was just in conversation with him decided to take off. But Jesus didn't chase him down. He realized that not everybody's going to accept this truth, Right. And so as hard as that was for me, this young lady, you know, she, she decided, hey, you know, I'm going to walk away from him, be upset, I'm going to be mad, I'm going to lash out against this guy and against this ministry. And, and in my flesh, again, it hurts because I'm a human being, I'm a man, I'm a father. I, I, would, I wouldn't want my own daughter, my own sister, if I had one, to do this to me. But I understand also as a representative of Christ, the Bible says, Jesus said this to his disciples, if they will do this to, to me, what will they do to you? You know, so... We are going to get persecuted, even when we try to do things in love and in truth. And I realized that that day. Like, wow, this is, this is not easy. But it didn't cause me to silence myself. It didn't cause me to shy away from the things that God was showing me to do, even though it wasn't received the way I would hope. The last point is E. Um, express empathy, guys. And this is an area I'm working on. I'm talking to my wife a lot about. You know, I feel like oftentimes people want to be heard, but they don't want to listen. And oftentimes we need to feel. We need to feel with those that are hurting. We need to really feel it at a, at a nuclear level, at a place where we can say, you know, what is it you've really gone through? As a, as a Hispanic person in San Antonio, I'm the majority. I'll just be honest, I'm the majority there, okay? Um, if, if, if you go to certain parts of the state or certain parts of the, even cities, you'll find your majority in certain areas and your minority in other areas, right? That's what it is. So based on where you've and how you're brought up and your family dynamic, there's going to be experiences we go through that aren't going to always be the same as other people. Some good and some not so good. 
And so when things happen, regardless of the why they happen, regardless of it's racist or if it's people abusing authority or if it's people just being mean or whatever, profiling, whatever, you want, whatever terms you want to give it, at the end of the day, let's, let's focus in on the event. Of the event of something that happens, let's, let's empathize. Let's, let's get in there and let's say, man, how can we hurt? How can we mourn? How can we, how can we be with you? How can we pray for you, right? Because we can always open the door to the politics behind the why and the how and the who and the when and the where. But in, the, in those moments of needing to, to just be loved and to be held and to be, um, have an arm put around them, I think oftentimes, I know myself and other times, Christian or not, we rush to all these other areas instead of saying, hey, let's just hurt. Let's hurt together. Let's mourn together. Let's, let's, let's do these things together. And then we can go into the, all the other things later. And oftentimes that doesn't happen in a culture right now that's so quick to just throw things out there on, on every side of the fence, right? And I think as Christians, that's part of our voice is how do we love when those that are hurting are hurting? Because the world is looking and saying, well, where's the Christians in all this? And when I was looking at some of the things I was talking about, um, I wanted to share with you that in having a voice right now with these things, right? We have these masks, right? And when people wear them, when you walk around, they're required to put this on, right? And I feel like this is almost symbolic of how the enemy wants to do with us as Christians. He wants to take our, he wants to take our voice and he wants to keep it over us symbolically right spiritually speaking he wants to he wants to mask our voice this is for health reasons guys but not for spiritual it's not for your spiritual health this is for the physical health of others so if you're sick somebody else won't get whatever you may have but some of us are doing this right now with our faith some of us are doing this right now with who we are in christ with our testimony with our story with our beliefs that are centered in in the word and so this can be the biggest hindrance spiritually to any one person that has the faith that same hope that same the Bible talks about having the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in every one of us. Wow. So there should be power in this room. There should be power on those watching right now if you're a Christian because that same spirit lives in you. The Bible calls it the hope of glory, right? Hope of glory. What hope of glory do you have if right now in COVID, right now with protests, right now with all that's going on around us, nobody's hearing or listening to the hope that you have inside you for why you are who you are? And I found it easy to sometimes, to, for us to jump in, but I also think that sometimes we take the vaccine because we're like, well, it's easy when we know, oh, we're not supposed to be out and about, we should just stay put, stay inside, social distance. So we use that as an excuse to say, well, I don't have to share my story because that's kind of like the, the, it's kind of a crutch Bible because, oh, society right now, we're in this, it's in this holding pattern. If you look at what the Bible says, and this is a story right out of the Bible, it comes from John chapter 19, it says this, and you guys will recognize this story. It says, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, for I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. Well, when Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus didn't give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not talking to me. Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a, 
a king opposes Caesar. Now, why do I read this? Jesus had a very keen, a very smart understanding of when to be silent, but then when he needed to himself, be heard. And this wasn't the only time he did this. There's times he did this with you know, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and all these things. But specifically here, why? Because Jesus understood there's power in silence, but there's also power in knowing when to have a voice. Pilate was already anxious about crucifying Jesus. He wasn't sure about it. Jesus' silence raised this idea of like, okay, well, he didn't answer where are you from, right? So Pilate in his position knew, well, I'll tell him who I am, right? So Jesus won't tell me who he is and where he's from, then I'm going to tell him about me. I have power to crucify you or let you go. Instead of Jesus being silent in that moment, because he wasn't asked a question on that part, in that sense, Jesus speaks up and says, you wouldn't have that power if it wasn't for the fact it was given to you. He reminds Pilate in that moment, right? I might not have told you where I'm from, but I can tell you where your power comes from, and it doesn't come from yourself. Like Jesus, we have the same power. We have the same authority given to us. It's authority, guys. We have a spiritual authority, not to abuse it, but to use it to share with a world right now that needs to be reminded, right? Whether you're the president all the way down to a person, just the average Joe, right? Everybody needs to understand that God's given the authority. Read Romans 12. talks about all authorities and systems are, have been given over by God. They've been put in place, right? If God can do things through Nebuchadnezzar and through Pharaoh, and God can do things through President Trump or President Obama or President Bush or President whoever the next ones would be, God's going to use whoever he's going to use, right? Those are authorities that we can give them by God. But we have to remind the world right now, and let's just be very honest. Think about when we put our faith in, it, in, in, in the Lord, we know that's, in our, that's our hope. So we know when we die, we're, the Bible says to be absent of the body, present with the Lord, right? Our last breath on earth, first breath in heaven. Dude, think about that, right? But the lost world, the unsaved world, they don't have that hope in Christ. So they're putting their hope in politics. They're putting their hope in social justice. They're putting their hope in all these humanitarian things, science, education, degrees, money, jobs, fame, entertainment. They're putting their hope in that because that's their, that's their thing. That's their idol. That's, their, that's the only thing they look to. So when you see people passionately out there making statements on either side of the fence about this is right, this is wrong, this is anything else, that's because they, have, they don't have the hope of Christ. Maybe some of them out there are Christians, but I would like to think a lot of them that are really radical, really inundated in that, a lot of them, they don't have the hope that we have as Christians, so they have to find something to center all that into. And I think what we as Christians can probably learn from some of them is how to have passion about something. Where's our passion for our belief systems? Where's us saying, hey, this is what the Bible says. Let's show you. Let's show you whose life matters most. We have to be willing to put ourselves out there, right? Because a spineless Christian is going to stand up for nothing because you have no spine. We have to be out there. We have to be in the front line saying, man, this is what, this is what it looks like. Right? In love, in truth, coming forward to do that. Because if we don't, and we take the silent option, which again, at times, like Jesus did, is okay. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to be silent. It's okay to sit back. But at other times, we need to step out. We need to be able to say, you know what? I've been on the sidelines long enough. I've been using COVID long enough. I've been using this mask as something bigger than a physical reminder of where I'm at. I need to step out of my comfort zone. Because right now, the ones that are stepping out, based on my opinion, based on my perception, aren't the ones that 
are rooted in the word of God, are rooted in here. I think it's a lot of the other people that are passionate, you know, and a lot of them have some good points, but they're doing the same things. And where are we in this fight? Because that's what it is. It's a fight right now, right? The battle's not against flesh and blood, guys. Spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. It's going to continue going on. We need to get reengaged. We need to get reengaged. So as I wrap up, I've been mentoring and ministering, like I said, with youth um, from college all the way down to middle school for the past nine years. And everything I'm sharing with you today is, is, a, is just a reminder of, of who we are, but it's also something I know has, makes differences in lives. And um, I want to share with you, um, and there's a video that's going to play here in a second. It's a story, and it's a story of a young lady who I had the pleasure of meeting, and um, still, you know, some I keep in touch with her now. She's moved away. She's in her 20s now, but I want to share with you a little bit of her story. And, and as the video ends, uh, I'm going to wrap up, and, uh, and then we'll pray and we'll be done. But um, I just, again, want to really center back on this idea of speaking, being God's voice, using love, and using truth. So if you could play that, that'd be awesome. Uh, my name's Diana Castro. I go to Churchill. My story is, um, I've grown up in the Mormon religion, and that's all I knew about. I was born into that religion. And I moved to San Antonio, and since it's not um, a very, it, Mormonism isn't popular here, I was starting to become more curious about different religions. I went to Alamo Heights, and I met Monte and Dante. Monte, um, he's a very strong Christian, and he found out I was Mormon, so he wanted to invite me to an HEB camp. This was last year, spring break. And I didn't know if I wanted to go because I was so sure of my own religion, which was Mormonism at the time. Um, but I gave it a shot. I went. Everything I answered about like their Bible questions, any questions they asked me, I asked it with my knowledge from the Mormon religion. Lewis was sitting right in front of me, and he just turned around and he asked me, my friend, what church do you guys go to? I said, I go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a Mormon church. And he asked me right away, can I sit by you on the bus ride home? And that's a two-hour bus ride. I said, sure. So I knew I was going to get interviewed about my religion. And so we're sitting on the bus, and right away he asked me, um, who do you believe is Jesus Christ? And I said, the Son of God. And... Uh, from my knowledge of that Mormon religion, it's a trinity. And um, he asked me about, well, where do you go after death? I said, well, there's three parts of heaven, three levels. And he looked at me strange and he said, um, are you sure? And then he explained to me that it's either just heaven or hell. And God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are all one person. So he's talking to me, and then at the very end, he asked to pray with me. And I said, sure. So he's praying with me, and as I'm listening to him pray, I felt like it wasn't his voice anymore. I felt like it was God's voice. It, it was almost like wind was blowing straight into my ear. And it was a feeling I couldn't ignore, and somehow I knew what he was telling me was the truth. And I told Lewis this, but... Right after he prayed with me, I felt just complete peace. My name is Mariela. I'm a divorced mom of three. 
I come from a, a life of um, sexual abuse, um, domestic violence, and um, I was an orphan. I came to know Jesus Christ uh, when I was a teenager through a Catholic movement, and later on, um, not that I forgot, but I was involved in the Mormon Church for many years until. Um, Thanks to my daughter, Diana, I found Christ. Lewis is a big part of my life. I don't know if he knows that, but, uh, like, Lewis is like my second dad, you know? And, um, I don't know, I'm just so grateful because, I, I don't know, he's the one that brought me to all of this, and if I hadn't known about Christianity, I don't know where I would have been. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I tell you, I think that what we fail to realize is the power we have in Christ. We have a power that only we have. And if you let your voice be useful, lives are changed. Here's a girl who thought she had it figured out. I'm a Mormon. I'm happy. I'm content. I think I know what I need. I think I have it all gone, figured out and done moment of opportunity I shared the truth in love I spoke with her I talked to her put my arm around her I asked her to pray with her she accepts Christ she then shares her voice with her mom her mom comes down the same steps decides to accept the Lord and things again they don't have to be perfect she hasn't been perfect she has struggles she's in her 20s now living in another state you know her mom's still here in San Antonio we still have our life to live, but we have to have a voice. We have to step out. We have to be willing to reach across the aisle with those people that maybe we wouldn't normally go to, or maybe those people that we've been comfortable with, or maybe maybe even looking at the people in our own church and saying, well, I assume everybody's okay. And maybe it's not always a conversation of going to heaven or hell. Maybe it's people that are already Christian, but are going through the struggles and need to hear this hope of freedom. As we celebrate July 4th coming up, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, freedom, uh, he who the son has set free is free indeed, right? And so what good is freedom to those that are still spiritually bound to, to the bondage of sin? You could have all the freedoms of the United States and all the freedoms of this country, but if you're still bound to the slavery of sin, it means nothing because spiritually you're still shackled. Spiritually, we're all still enslaved to that if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ. And so... As I wrap up today, I just want to, number one, say thank you again for letting me share with you all today. And thank you for, for um, allowing me to, to, to bring this message. But number two, for those that are watching here, back somewhere else through the social media platforms, if, if, if this is something that maybe somewhere in this, you feel the tug of the heart because the Lord is saying, you know, I'm talking to you, young woman, young man, I'm talking to you. And you really feel like God's calling you to, to understand that this isn't a battle of flesh and blood. That, as, that as, as needed it is to have changes in our systems right now from the top all the way down, what's most needed is to have a change in our mindset all the way down to our heart. Because that's oftentimes what will send people to hell is that eight, eight inches, eight inches from the brain to the heart is this eight, eight inches that it takes for someone to know about God but not really trust and surrender to him.
so I'd like to pray right now. And, um, and if there's anyone, again, anywhere out there that would like to take this opportunity to investigate who they are at a very atomic level and ask themselves, if I died right now, do I know? Do I know with 100% certainty that my eyes would open in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords looking at me, welcoming me into his kingdom, saying, good and faithful servant, thank you. You've done me well. Come and sit and dine with me. Do I know that for a fact? Because if you don't, like I was for many, many years of my life, you are on borrowed time. And for those of us that do have that knowledge and do have that certainty, my prayer is going to be for those of us that are Christians to not be on the sidelines anymore, to get back in the game. The world needs us. America needs us. Our neighbors need us. This church needs us. They need us. Some of us are in our, what we call our fourth quarter of life. We may be past somewhere between 60 years old on up and we're in the fourth quarter. And maybe God's saying, hey, I still got some assignments left for you to do. I still got one more push through you. It's your legacy we're talking about now based on the legacy that Christ gave us. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to come and be your voice here today for this beautiful place and for these beautiful people. And for all those that are outside this church that may be watching or may be seeing this and hearing this, Lord, I pray for each and every heart, each and every mind, each and every soul right now. The Bible says that it is appointed for us to die and for us to face judgment. What does that look like for some of us, Lord? If today, Lord, the Bible says we hear your voice, let's not harden our hearts, God. I pray for every heart that's been hardened, for every mind that's been manipulated for the process of many years and lives for so many people, like myself, who was turned away, God. I was like the prodigal son running away with my things, spending it on the world, all the while desperate to figure out the question of who is God in my life. And so I pray for any certain people out there, Father, right now, any young man or woman, any person of any nationality, any belief system, any religion, any struggle, Lord. The Bible says, come to me, all those that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your soul, for my yoke is light. Jesus came so that we can have life more abundantly. Your word tells us you are the way, the truth, and life. No man can get to the Father except through you, Lord. And so I'm praying right now, if there's anyone, anyone watching, anyone here, anyone hearing, that they would just make this a prayer to the, of their own accord today, Lord. Call out to the Father. The Bible says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved not from the trials of this life, because those are guaranteed for all of us, believers or not, but saved for eternal damnation that can now walk with the Holy Spirit living in them as a spiritual GPS and navigation system for life. Not if they're going to go through problems, but when, because we will. We are guaranteed problems. Now the Holy Spirit will go through problems with them. And for those of us here in this room, or for those of us watching right now and listening that say, I'm a Christian, 
I am a believer. I've trusted in the Lord. God, I pray that we would get our voices. For some of us, those voices have been silenced by coronavirus. They've been silenced by the injustices happening all around the U.S. And the social things, God, have silenced, have silenced the people of God so that we're wearing our masks, not just physically, but we're wearing our masks spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, God. And God, I'm praying right now that you would pull back the mask, pull down the spiritual mask of your people, Lord. Reinsert the backbone that you gave us at salvation, Father. Call us out of that place, God, where we feel like we're the victims and we are now the victors. God, I pray, Lord, I pray that you would reinvigorate your people today, God. We should not be the ones watching on the news or on TV or on social media or hearing stories of so many other people that are passionate about what they think and believe doing things. We should be part of that, God, doing it with our votes, doing it, organizing in a peaceful manner, investigating the facts, God, being able to communicate through love and through truth, your word, your heart, and expressing the empathy, God, that you have placed in us because you empathize with the weak and the hurting. Because in that, we can have our voice back, Father. So I pray, Lord, I pray that there would be many more people like Diana we just saw in this video that we can have an impact on, whether it's an impact on their eternal salvation or whether it's just an impact on their momentary need, God, of emotional struggles. Help us, Father, now to lean into you no different than the Apostle John leaned into the bosom of Christ at the last couple so that we can feel feel the Holy Spirit empowering us, God, to be a lightning rod for this generation and for this world that needs salt and needs light, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your equipping. Thank you, God, for not just being our creator, but being our Savior and our Lord. We just give you everything right now, Lord, as your people. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.